Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is he is robbed in majesty. The Lord is robbed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your statues, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. The kids are dismissed for Kids Church with Emily today. You may be seated. Hello? Hello? All y'all ready for this? I, I had one goal of the sermon, that was to get the word phrase, all y'all, in there. You guys are going to be hard on the right flank. I'm over here, to, and then and then while he's giving me the stuff. All right, guys. Um, when you say that someone is intelligent, part of what you mean by that is that they identify patterns. So if you look at the anatomy of intelligence and how it actually works, is your ability to kind of perceive patterns and tendencies and to overlap things and those kinds of things. And we all have intelligences. We all have particular gifts. Some of you guys are musical. Thank you. I was pretty hyped up, and I'm glad you didn't do techno this morning. I've been just fired, but... What you mean is you identify patterns and you work those patterns. So you might have a gift in cooking. Merle might have an intelligence in fishing where he begins to analyze and see where the current is and how the sun is and where the bait goes and what they're eating and da-da-da-da. And we all have a ton of different intelligences. Society kind of some ways rewards the academic one, but that's pretty tiny, really. There's all kinds of gifts and abilities. Um, and this is important because it's kind of the, the template that I want to give you for this whole thing today. Humans see patterns, sequences, tendencies, similarities, and differences as they move and interact and play off of each other. We then abstract these from the particular into principles, which we turn, use to survive and to thrive. We call that intelligence. So we take the particulars and we abstract it up into some kind of principle. So I could throw 100 different chairs in here, and you guys would all identify chairs. You go, oh, it's a chair, da 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 and you would abstract the particular chairs up into a principle of chair, right? And so that's a lot of what we do as human beings. Uh, the issue in that is that if you look at Isaiah, he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So what we need is a spiritual intelligence. We need a spiritual sense. We need to be able to see as God sees. We need to, this is why Jesus kept praying, give them eyes to see and ears to hear. Because you can completely, utterly miss what is God is doing because you're expecting this and he's doing something completely different, okay? And that's really important to begin to beg God, to begin to ask God, to begin to seek God. God, how do I see the world as you see the world? Let me give you an example. Last Sunday, 
Matt preached on uh, Psalm 110, which is a messianic psalm about the coming of Christ. And says, the Lord says, the Lord declares. Um, but that pattern didn't look anything like we would expect in some ways. A thousand years before, God declares, here comes the Messiah. This is my kingdom. This is going to be the king and the priest. This is going to be the Lord. And then whew, nothing happens for a thousand years. And then a 15-year-old girl who's unwed, is pregnant, and ends up having a baby in a manger off in some crazy foreign land, and the child grows up to be a boy, and then he gets into ministry, and people are kind of fired up about what he's doing, and then he gets arrested, and then he gets beat to shreds to an inch of his life, bleeding and broken, and then he's sent on the cross, and he's killed, and he dies. Is that what you expect from the God of the universe? Was he going to set up his kingdom? It's definitely not what they expected. But there were certain people that had an intelligence about it and they could see what God was doing. And later, now we see millions, hundreds of millions, maybe a billion, people who have seen this pattern, who understand what God is doing, have been transformed by that. So that's kind of one of my things today is like, how do we... We have a friend who, who says... He wants to get behind what God's doing. He wants to see what God's doing and get behind it and, and see it and, and, and pay attention to it. How do we do that if we don't even see what God's doing? So that's kind of one of our, our plans today, all right? So as Christians, we live in faith. We walk and we act and we love and we move in hope of that which we often do not see. The life of faith means we ask God for eyes to see and ears to hear. Or as Paul says, for in hope we've been saved, but in hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what, for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, through perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So Peter looks at the waves and he begins to sink into the abyss, right? And then he looks to Christ and he's saved, right? One of my favorite scriptures of all time. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. For I'm not in the place of God. But as for you, you meant it for me as evil, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day that many people will be saved. So what we see with our eyes and what God is doing are two completely different things in that sense, right? Um, Paul says it this way in Corinthians. We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Jesus comes to Nicodemus. You guys know the story at night. And Nicodemus asks him a question. Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus is puzzled and he looks back at him and says, well, how can someone be born again when they are old? Surely they cannot enter their mother's womb for a second time to be born. Again, Nicodemus and what? God was doing. It's completely different patterns, different things happening in that point. So, it's one of the principles before we get into Psalm 92. So that's all a matter of, of intro, right? I just want you to think about that template as you look at the scripture. What is God doing here and what do I think he's doing? And maybe those aren't exactly the same thing. One of the principles that's really crucial in the psalm is the nature of creation means that God speaks and it happens. And that's kind of interesting, right? His word goes forth from his voice and it happens. 
And that's a different principle than we're generally used to, right? Because he has the power to speak and it happens. So he says at the very beginning, the Spirit of God, Genesis 1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and then God said, let there be light and there was light. Now the thing you got to remember about all this is that God's time, it says, Peter, God's time is not your time. A day to him is a thousand years and a thousand years to a day. So we think, even on this scripture, I think instantly, God said, let there be light, and there was light. I don't know. Was it a billion years? I don't know. Was it five days? Was it 38 seconds? Was it just instantaneous? What happened? I don't know, but I do know that, that A and B, B was going to follow A. Does that make sense? That they were not even the same. The Buddhists have this notion that there is no such thing as cause and effect, that it's all interconnected with each other, right? So that as God speaks, it happens, and there, you can look at it and say, oh, that's the cause, that's the effect, but actually they're one thing. And I think that maybe makes a little bit more sense in this process. God, the Spirit of, the wa- Spirit of God hovers over the water, and he says, let there be light, and there's light. That's going to happen. It's not going to not happen. It's going forth, okay? That principle is pretty crucial, just like yes, last week when the Lord says, the Lord declares that this one is coming, he's a king, he's a priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, and my savior, my redeemer, is coming forth into the world, that's happening. And there's nothing that's gonna change that necessarily. Oh, I got control of this thing, don't I? Woo! I just thought that was kind of pretty. Have you guys enjoyed it enough? All right, let's go back to the dull. Uh, no, not the dull. That's, yeah, this is pretty dull. There we go. So the first part of Psalm 93, the Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is girded with strength. He has established the world. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Essentially, the way this psalm goes is there's the majesty of God. He's established and he's robed. And then there's the floods, the noise that comes and just wipes us out. And then there's his word, which is the ultimate transformation of us as believers into something new. Okay? That's the order, essentially, of the psalm. And it's actually pretty awesome. So three times he says he is robed or girded, and three times he says he is established there. The Lord reigns. I don't know if this means anything, but there are seven psalms out of the 150 that are about the reign of God in this way, where it's just like God rules everything. So about 5% of the psalms... Does that mean anything? No. Okay, perfect. I thought it might mean something, okay? Uh, another way to say that is Psalm 47, 2. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the king of all the earth. So God is totally sovereign. He reigns, not the individual. That's very anti-American, correct? And what's the essence of your American dream? Like, I, have, I own me. I'm autonomous for me. I get to make decisions for me. Me is me. I rule. My vote, count. I rule it all. That's not what the biblical uh, deal is. Um, the job rules sometimes. Sometimes the family rules for you. Sometimes the government rules. Sometimes just circumstances. You're just getting whacked upside the head with things. Or things are going really great for you, and then that rules you. But that may be your perception that all those things rule you, but God has declared that he actually rules all things. He reigns, apart from what we see. 
Peterson says in his commentary, God's rule is inclusive and absolute. Hmm. I can say that, but do I believe it? Actions best belie what I truly believe. And yet the structure of God's word never depends on my belief. What is, is regardless of my belief about reality. So as I perceive myself as ruling, as controlling, as, as owning things, as having it under control, this is the actual reality. All right? Whether I see it, believe it or not, whether somebody, it doesn't matter, really. Um, the Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is girded in great strength. He has established the world. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are everlasting. But the unavoidable reality is that in addition to living under God, we are at the same time living under a king. We're living under a dictator, a prime minister, an emperor, a president, a general. I mean, whatever it is, right? With attendant councils and courts and senates and armies and bureaucracies to see that the law and order, they administer the state, they dispense justice. So we have this kind of dichotomy here, right? Where God has said, I rule, and yet, we're living under all kinds of things, whether it's the county commissioners or Rafter or the, whoever the mask mandate guru is or whatever the governor says or you know the county, whatever. We're living under that all the time and it has a radical impact on our life. In fact, they even take some of our money. What's that about? <laughs> That's not nice. Um, but they do it anyway. Again, maybe to counter that, the biblical testimony is something like this. And I know I, I said these when I did Ecclesiastes a couple months ago, but I just... I just think it's, everything I see around me doesn't really say this. So this is a one holy sacred place. I can just come say these things and declare them in such a way that I don't think that, that at least my friends can hear it. Uh, even though TikTok's not saying this, YouTube's not saying this, people at work aren't saying this. Uh, sometimes my own heart doesn't say this, but I want to say it. Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Deuteronomy 32. Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any can deliver from my hand. Psalm 147. The Father heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He numbers the stars and he calls them all by name. Great is our Lord, mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. <laughs> and again, second one, one, my favorite one again. But as for you, Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is today that many people might be saved and be alive. So even though we know in our heads uh, that the Lord reigns, our nation, our local polis, our daily lives seem so swamped by floodwaters. Where is God's reign? Sometimes we see no sign of his rule. If you're honest, like as you go through your day, through the week, through the month, through your life, do you really see God's reign in your life? Or do you see all these other powers and principalities and things moving in you and affecting you? The gas price is going up. This politician's saying that. This is happening here. You're getting this uh, disease. You're in this car accident. All this stuff is just rolling over us all the time, right? And yet, beyond that, God still rules and runs all things. So the floods have lifted up, O oh Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. In the floods lift up their roaring that's the next part of the psalm right there. Whoop. 
magic button. Another blank. Cool. So scripture is replete with flood images, right? If you think through the scripture, there's floods all the time, right? Noah emerges from this massive flood um, as a sign to the, uh, to the sign of the dove. In the same way that Christ emerges from the waters of baptism with the sign of the dove, right? Coming from chaos, coming from death, coming from the scary part to life. Peter's swamped by the waves. He reaches for Christ's hands. You, most of you, all of you, I think you, I don't know, most of you have been through baptism, right? I know Ryan has recently because I was there and I saw it and that was awesome. Um, but what is, what is that? That's rising out of the grave. That's rising out of death. That's rising out of the old man becoming the new. Uh, Romans, or do you not know, brethren, or, you not, or do you not know, brethren, that, that those who have been baptized in Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that Christ was raised from the dead so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, but now we are alive to God. So we come up out of the grave, we come up out of the water, out of death. The Hebrews emerged from the Red Sea to the triumphant song of, can I sing it? Okay. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. I like that song. And I really like it when someone else sings it, but that's okay. Um, to begin this journey to the promised land, right? The thing is, as you come up out of the waters, some people will tell you, you're there, baby. You have arrived. And essentially, that's not true. Essentially, you are just beginning the journey, okay? They get out of the Red Sea, and where do they go? Into the wilderness for 40 years. And they get spanked there hard, a lot, okay? But they're on the way to the promised land. And sometimes when somebody gets baptized, we say, well, you got it. It's all good. You're yeah. No. Now you're ready to start. Now you're ready to go. Now you're ready to move into these things. By the way, if you know their journey through the wilderness is perhaps a cautionary tale for us as we emerge from the waters of baptism to begin our sojourn through the wilderness in this world as exiles. So in the scripture, there's the mud, there's the flood, there's the deep waters, there's the mire, there's that thing that we're in. What is that? What is that? And I want to talk specifically and let you fill in the blanks in your own head because you have your own waters. You have your own floods. Some of them you're complicit in, and some of those just knocked you upside the head, okay? But you have them, you're creating them, you're deciding them, you're choosing them, and you're bound in them sometimes, right? If you don't know them, that's when you ask God, Father, convict me. Lead me into truth. Convict me of my sin. What is it? I'm pretty sure I haven't arrived. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a little more work to do. So take me. Um, just an example in the Psalms. Save me, God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in the deep mud and there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters and into the flood. So in our history, in our life, the floods grab all of the headlines. The floods lift up their voice and they're roaring. The floods draw us into fear and anxiety into stress and frustration, into violence and anarchy. They often drive us into self-medication and mindlessness. 
The pain hurts too much. So we move to the bliss of unconsciousness rather than awareness and life. Do you see that pattern in your own life? Have you ever recognized that and seen that? It's the beginning of the beginning of healing, of breaking of addiction, breaking of just habits in your life, breaking of things that are broken, breaking of stopping to say stupid things, you know? Everyone, so I say stupid things to my wife and I'm like, I wasn't gonna do that. I wasn't gonna say anything stupid. And I can tell because our heart looks kind of hurt and I'm like, dang, I'm a dummy. So the pain hurts so much so we move into the bliss of unconsciousness rather than the awareness of life. The eating, the addiction, the internet, the binge watch, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, the bottomless abyss of the phone. Who hasn't just dove into the phone because you just can't handle the pain? And you're not really conscious of that. You just do it. It's, uh, it's, it's just there. It's just there. You know, what's really conscious in your head? 5%, 10%? But 90% of what's really going on in you is under the surface, right? I saw a thing where they said that 80% of marriage counseling is about things that happened before they even met each other. Wow. Wow. That's a lot, right? That's a lot. And it makes sense, right? So exactly what are the floods? I think you know them, but I'm going to just say them real quick. Human, um, (laughs) maybe it's the chaos, the brokenness, the pain, the stupidity, the suffering, the addiction, the self-inflicted wounds, the afflictions, the afflictions, the afflictions, the various turns and agonies of life that threaten to swamp us. Sometimes they're from without. Economic depression wiped out my mom's family in the Great Depression. Just threw it all upside down from everything to nothing, from here to homeless to dad going to the Panama Canal and going to Alaska to try to build money back, to going to Vegas to try to build money for the family as they wandered around. And it was rough, right? $5 gas. Ah, the petty tyrant of a new boss. Trees falling on your house. Sorry, Brian. But that could be a chaos, right? Could be a petty flood. From within, it's part of our nature. Behold, I was brought forth in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Also, there are floods where we are complicit and additive by our choices and desires. So the day I'm, wa- I'm driving back from Fort Collins, Kim's in Fort Collins, and I'm driving back, and I'm just like, you know, nothing on the radio, so I'm listening to some corny jazz station, which I really like, but Kim's thinking I'm old when I do, but it's like Dave Cause, you know. And I'm just listening to it, kind of spacing out, and I start playing with these words. And I'm, this is really nerdy. This is like a teacher thing. Um, I'm like building an SAT question, okay? So I've got these five words, and then I'm going to pull two of them out, and then you have to go ahead and fill in the other words. Very, very nerdy, right? Yeah, you're liking it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty lost. So I'm going to tell you these 11 words that eventually as I meditated and as I thought about and how God has turned them into a prayer. This was a couple months ago. Fiber, thread. This is the anatomy of the flood. This is the anatomy of what happens to you. Fiber, thread, string, cord, rope, cable, chain, jail, prison, dungeon, tomb. And I've seen that in my life a lot, sometimes. It's just a little fiber there. And all of a sudden it can become more. And it can be a problem. 
So my prayer becomes out of that, Father, dissolve the fibers. Snap the threads, cut the string, slice the cord, sever the rope, shear the cable, break the chain, open the jail doors, crumble the walls of the prison, Father. Burst in the dungeon and flood it with light. Roll away the stone of the tomb. And that's, that's part of our prayer. Is God work something different in me. The world, the floods, my own stupidity, whatever, has put me in this place that I don't really want to be. It's hurting my family. It's hurting me. It might be hurting my kids. I want to be there. God, would you set me free? Please, please, please. And you begin to ask that and beg that. And it's a powerful, good thing. <clears throat> so the waves and the floods seem so real and so overwhelming. And yet, I just want to let you know there's a deeper word that's been spoken over you. So what you see and perceive around you, all the voices, all the things, is so funny. When, when are you ever quiet? I mean, I watch the bus. I get on the bus at 4.50 and it's like, gotta, 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 gotta. People are scrolling everywhere. The lights are everywhere and things are going nuts. And then you walk down the aisle and they're shopping and they're doing this and they're doing that and this is blah, 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 blah. And I just wonder, like, when are we ever quiet? I don't know. But those floods come at us. And I think sometimes that noise, that noise protects us from the reality that needs to be healed and changed and transformed within us. So a deeper word has been spoken over you. Here it is. Nope, that's not it. There it is. More majestic than the thunders of the mighty waves, more majestic than the waves of the sea, majestic and high is the Lord. Your decrees are very sure. That's the phrase I'm going to really lock into, okay? Your decrees are very sure. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. In uh, the book Earth and Altar that, that Matt is having me read as I do this, uh, this is what Peterson says about it. The decrees are very sure, which means they are faithful and steadfast and foundational. The waves are subdued by decrees. I think this is on the back of the, is it on the, back of the bulletin. Anybody see that? Okay. So you can read along if you want. The waves are subdued by decrees. The violence of the seas is not countered by the violence from the skies. Force is no attribute of God, says Ignatius of Antioch. This is an amazing but thoroughly biblical assertion. This means that which God's rule is put the this means that by which God's rule is put into effect, the means by which God's rule is put into effect, is word not muscle, decrees not armies, creative speech not coercive act. These decrees, which can so casually be ignored and twisted, continue to be spoken age after age by prophet and priest, king and wise man, apostle and disciple, by means of the decrees, rule is maintained. There is that deeper word uh, that comes. So it's kind of text and subtext. You guys are pretty familiar with this concept, I think, of text and subtext. You ever had a conversation between two people or watched a conversation between two people and the words of the text, but underneath there's like this, and you're like, what's going on? Because the words sounded really nice, but there's this long history between these two people of anger and bitterness and frustration. And so whatever they're saying over here in the text, there's something deeper moving underneath that. 
Okay? There's something deeper. There's text and subtext. And what I want to say to you is the text in your life is those floods that are rolling on you, but there's a way deeper subtext that God has spoken about you. And that's what's ultimately going to triumph, right? That is ultimately what's going to triumph. The Lord says, the Lord declares that my son is going to be a priest and a king forever. That's what's ultimately going to triumph. So about 40 plus years ago, maybe more than that, 42, 43, I don't know. Um, some guy was thinking that Kim was going to be hers or his. You know, like they were dating and he was all fired up about it. And I was like, mm, mm, mm. Kim's my friend. He's been my friend since I was like sixth grade. Like, mm, it's not happening. And so we're in the upper room in the, in the church, right? And we're in the upper room. And all of a sudden, I begin to say things to her that just have a little text. And if anybody had heard the text, they'd be like, oh, that's messed up. But what was going on between us? Subtext. <laughs> Fire. Passion. Like, no. You. Like, are you interested? I want you. I like you. Could we be close? <laughs> Could you be mine? You know? And I was so cra- I'm so crazy. Like, we dated one week before I said what? <laughs> yeah, we're going to get married. Stupidest thing a young man could ever say to a young woman. Don't, stop, stop, okay? Took about, good advice. That's all you need from the sermon. You guys can go. I mean, that, that was really not bright. But it became true, right? It became true. It took three and a half years for it to become true, but it became true. We were young. So the text was, here's the words, blah, 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 blah. the subtext was this passion underneath, this reality that was coming, this thing that was going to happen. Um, and that's really where I want you to get on today, okay, is that you feel these floods rolling about your life, but I want you to focus in on the subtext. What has God said about you? What is he calling you to be? What is happening in your life? Your sauna might blow up, okay? You might get in a car wreck, you know? As somebody said at work the other day, a deer hit my car. Really? Okay, man. Sure it did, sure it did. <laughs> Angry deer. Uh, you know, or, or whatever's happening, you know, there's something deeper. And that's what God's doing. And that's what matters. You guys all, know, maybe you know this example, but I'll give you one other example here. Just kind of knock this point home real quick. This is from Narnia. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there was a deeper magic still which she did not know. You know the context of that. If you don't, go read it. Okay. And what he's, sa- what he's saying is, yeah, this may look like what's happening, just like it might look like Jesus just got beat up and crucified and killed. And that's what it looks like. That's the text. But what's the subtext? God is using the death of Christ and his blood shed to cover your sin and my sin, to transform the world, for us to be born again. This is the point where you say, amen. amen. <laughs> I don't have woo words, but amen. <laughs> amen. And it's that text, it's that subtext that we have so much hope in because that's real. And it's more real than the floods. I've been in a lot of floods. And you know what? After a while, the water recedes, and you clean it up, and you move on. Okay? I've caused a lot of floods. And after a while, you come back, you apologize, you repent, you clean it up, and you move on. That's what you do. But God has a whole different plan. All right. 
okay, so we read the quote on the back of the book. Words, God's word is living and active. Uh, boom, da bada boom. All right. So the next question, we're just going to skip those real quick. Boop, boop, boop. Well, no, we're not going to skip those. I lied. You know, there's parts to skip. Matt, Matt does it once in a while. I look and he's looking at his book and he's like, ah, we're not doing that. But I'm doing this one. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so God's word is not magic, but it's power. And I just wanted to just one more time tell you what you already know. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and then he said, let there be light, and there was light. That is coming inexorably. I cannot spell it. I can say it, and I do know what it means. It's happening regardless of what you think about it. If God says there's light, there's going to be light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This is the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world as a baby from that little 15-year-old girl and the Holy Spirit. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God's word is not magic, but it's power. It is power in our lives. The law, Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. God's word has power in your life. And I'm going to tell you, I hear so many words that I really need to hear this other word. And that's sometimes why I memorize scripture, because how many words are spoken into your head every day? It's the technical numbers, gazillion, cotillion. I mean, there's a lot of junk that comes into your head. And you have to counter that with what is weight, what is real, what is right, and what is true. Jesus says, Jesus says it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. So as a believer, what is the deeper word that he has spoken over you? Why is Matt Ringer in this room? Why is Kim in this room? Teresa, why are you here today? Matt, why are you here pastoring us? Why is that creepy doll behind you? I don't know. But I do know that we're all here because of this. Ephesians 1.4, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You are a believer because God called you and because he chose you, because he said, that's my kid. That's my kid right there. I'm excited about that. Ephesians 2, next, next chapter. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Jesus. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Your place is reserved. You're raised up with Christ. You do have a little sojourn in front of you. You got to walk through the mud for a while, okay? Uh, but at the moment, at the time, he will call you and bring you forward. That's where I should have had that one from Peter that we were talking about. Um, 
All right. We are going to skip that and get to the last part. So that's it. Hear the pattern that God has for your life. Ask him to reveal those patterns. Ask him to speak to you. And ask him, and then confirm those patterns in the body. Confirm those patterns in the word of God. Confirm those patterns in fellowship with people that love you. But begin to see as God sees. And you know what? It's going to be weird because there's a lot of people that aren't ever going to see it. And that's just the way it is. Okay? I don't know why, but that's the way it is. But if you see it, run to him. Because it's between you and him. And he's going to bring who he brings. And we're excited about that. And you pray for them. You beg them, beg for them. You ask for them. Uh, but you run to him directly. All right. I think the word is really crucial in this. And so I wanted to end with a prayer. And this prayer, basically what I did, I don't know because I didn't go to theology school or anything if this is legal or illegal, but I pulled out a bunch of prayers from Psalm 119, and I, they're, they're singular, they, they're praying, person, and I pluralized it, so it's all of us together. So let's pray together. Father, we will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Open our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your law. Our soul clings to the dust. Revive us according to your word. Our soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen us according to your word. Your promise revives us. It comforts us in all our troubles. How sweet are your words to our taste, sweeter than honey to our mouth. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Uphold us. Sustain us according to your word that we may live. Make your face to shine upon your servants and teach us your decrees. Jesus, plead our cause and redeem us. Revive us according to your word. The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your judgments uh, endure forever. Thanks be to God. And all the people said? Amen. Okay, that's a good word. I just...